Thank you, guys. Thank you, worship team. John, did you enjoy being back in the classroom? You know, looking after other people's kids, you know. Parents, did you love handing off your kids to other people to look after them? Yeah, you bet, okay. Uh, it's good to be back here. It's always good to be back. Uh, back from Stockton. It's always good to leave Stockton. And uh, it's, uh, I guess with school back in this, this week, it's a sign that summer is getting near its end and hopefully the end of 100 degree days. And uh, as uh, Marcus mentioned, summer Bible adventures finished and it was a joy to see children baptized last week and hundreds of kids having had a great five weeks. Thanks to all in children's ministry for designing a great new concept and leading it so well. Uh, and now we actually head for more baptisms. Sunday, September the 15th, we're going to have more baptisms here. Uh, you can, If you're interested, take out that communication card and check that box at the, at the bottom. I want to be baptized and leave it at the Connection Center. And uh, we will have a baptism seminar on Wednesday, September the 4th, and get you ready for that baptismal Sunday on the 15th of September. Uh, you know, uh, a donut's not a donut unless it's dipped. That's what I say. So, uh, you know, you get take that donut, you've got to get that nice icing on top of it, and you've got to dip it for that. So, you know, a donut's not a donut until it's dipped. So, uh, join in baptisms and uh, get yourselves ready for September the 14th. Uh, hey, maybe I'll give you a Krispy Kreme donut for doing it. But, uh, and with summer getting near to, to, to the close and getting near the end of summer Sundays, uh, this is the final preach in the series that we launched in the summer, You Want Me to Do What? And uh, so, <clears throat> let's just lay it, you know, flat out this morning as we bring this series to an end. Let's just Let's just say what needs to be said. Let's just draw the line in the sand and be clear. Let's just call a strike and you're out of here, okay? Through this series, we've had three or four fasten your seatbelts moments. This is going to get bumpy. And uh, I'm reminded of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, like, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee guy, the boxer. Um, he was traveling by plane, uh, and the flight attendant announced that they were going to enter some turbulence. Please fasten your seatbelts. And as she walked past the world champion, she noticed that he hadn't fastened his seatbelt. So she asked him, sir, can you fasten your seatbelt? We're going to fly through some turbulence. And seemingly, Muhammad Ali responded, madam, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant replied, Sir, Superman don't need no airplane, so buckle up. Um, so, fasten your seatbelts this morning. It's going to get a little bit bumpy as we lay it all out flat, okay? As we've talked about Elijah, and we've seen his life and seen what God asked him to do, let me ask you, Maybe God has been coming to you in a whisper, uh, maybe through a friend, maybe uh, through reading his word, maybe as we've preached, maybe just a voice in your conscience. And during the summer months, he's been asking you to do something. Why would you not say yes? Like maybe it's about how you conduct your business. Maybe he's been prodding you 
as an employer that you demonstrate fairness and equality and integrity and compassion. And you look around you and you see competitors and they're cutthroat and they're ruthless and you wonder, well, how will I survive? How would I stay profitable if I don't do business the business way? And I do business the Jesus way? But if you felt God touch your conscience, you know He's asking you to change some ethics, some practices. I got a friend, dear friend, who's a farmer, and I know farming is not easy. And my farmer friend pays more than a fair wage, provides medical care for his employers. And it's seasonal in farming, but he keeps many of them on for 12 months, paying their wages, providing scholarships for some of their kids to go to college. <laughs> you can do that. You can be a fair, just, kind employer. Why would you not say yes to what God's asking you to do? Over the past few weeks, you've been prodded about making him a priority and not just a tag-on. Give him your time, give him your skills, give him your best, not just what's left. And, and you know he's asking for more than just a couple of Sundays a month. Why would you not say yes to God? For some of you, your consciences, you've been getting hit about holding out on making a commitment to Him, entering into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And your spouse has, your kids haven't, you still haven't. <laughs> and you know that God is asking you, let me in, surrender. Why would you not say yes to God? the true measure of who you are and your heart is what you would do if you were never found out. And you know that if you could get, if you could get away with it, you would, do, you would do things that fly in the face of morality or truthfulness or honesty or pureness. Do you know that the average American tells 200 lies every week? That's the average American. I think some of you are above average. And you know what's inside your heart? You know if people could see the real you, they'd be disgusted. And for the past few weeks, you've heard God ask you, seek me deeper, know me stronger. Clean up what's in your heart, what you watch, what you listen to, what you share in. Why would you not say yes to God? You want me to do What? And you're hesitating about doing what God is telling you to do, urging you to do. You see, most of us in this room this morning, we've got our beliefs right, most of us. It's fear that holds us back, not belief. And all the way through the story of Elijah, we've seen that fear can cripple you. Fear can lead you to the most bizarre of responses. Fear can make you run. Fear can make you even want to die. Rick Warren, pastor in Saddleback, once said, fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming who God intends you to be. Fear. Some of you are living with fear, trapped in that self-imposed prison. And the reason you've not responded to what God wants you to do is because of that fear. 
So all the way through the story of Elijah, it was faith that took him to stand before King Ahab and declare, no more rain until I say so. It was fear that caused him to run away from the Queen Jezebel. It was faith that took him to the top of the mountain and challenged the prophets of Baal to a showdown. And it was fear that caused him to ditch his only friend and hide out in the desert. It was faith that took him to the widow in Phoenicia and to declare that she would never run out of oil and flour until the rains came. It was fear that caused him to hide in a cave, wishing that he was dead. Fear. Let's visit Elijah for the final time. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to go back into that chapter. I'm going to read just a few verses. You can follow along if you want or open up your Bibles too at 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, I want to just read these words and preach and see what God does in your hearts, okay? 1 Kings 19 verse 15, uh, the Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way you came and then head for the desert of Damascus. Go and anoint Haziel king over Syria. You must anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and Elisha son of Japheth from Abel-Mehelo uh, Abel to take your place as prophet. Jehu will kill anyone who escapes Haziel's sword, and Elisha will kill anyone who escapes Jehu's sword. I still have left in Israel 7,000 followers who have not bowed their knees to Baal or kissed the images of him. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Jathat. He was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen. He was near the 12th pair. Elijah passed by him and threw his robe over him. He left the oxen, ran over to Elijah and said, please, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, then, then I will follow you. Elijah said to him, go back. Indeed, what have I done to you? Elisha went back and took a pair of oxen and slaughtered them. He cooked the meat over a fire that he made by burning the harness and yoke. He gave the people meat and they ate. Then he got up and followed Elijah and became his assistant. Elijah, last time, uh, when we met him, he was cowering in a cave in Mount Sinai, Moses' mountain. And he'd come to this sacred spot, hoping, desperately hoping, that he would catch again something of the God of Moses, his hero. And, and, the, and, and the God of Moses did appear to him, and he appeared not in the way that Elijah had, had hoped for. Uh, instead, he came in a new way to Elijah, and he revealed himself to Elijah. And God said to Elijah, you know, I did the Moses thing when Moses was here, but, but you're not Moses, so let me appear to you in a way appropriate for you. And up the holy mountain outside the sacred cave, God invited Elijah to move forward, to move on. And can you imagine it, if you were here when we read those texts, uh, there was wind that passed in front of El Elijah, then there was an earthquake that happened in front of Elijah, and then there was fire from heaven that came through. And then as he stood outside the cave on the side of the mountain of God, God came in the sound of silence, a tangible moment of encountering God. Sometimes it's as we are in our worship time with songs. Sometimes it's during private prayer and fasting. Sometimes it's when somebody's preaching. But sometimes, have you ever felt the tangible presence 
of God. There's nothing like it. It is mysterious, it is gentle, but it's right there and it's oh so different. And Elijah, Elijah has this awesome encounter with God. And God instructs him what then to do. <laughs> and, now, and now this will startle you. Okay? He has this encounter with God. God, God, okay? And then God's instructing him what to do. And then Elijah never did it. What? One of the most unbelievable parts of Elijah's life. He listened to God telling him personally what now he was to do. And he came down off the mountain and he never did what God told him to do. Like, like chapter 19, verse 15, he was to anoint Haziel king over Amram. And he never did that. He left it to Elisha to do it. And then verse 16, he was to anoint Jehu king over Israel. He never did that either. It took 13 more years for someone to do that. And in the meantime, Haziah, Ahab's son, took over the throne. And he was as bad as his father. And he had them worship Baal Zebub, the lord of the dung flies. It was an idol stuck on top of a dung heap to protect him from the diseases carried by flies. Compare that to the revelation of God up Mount Carmel. Uh, the, the Greek equivalent of Baal-zebub is, is to signify Satan himself. Thirteen wasted years because Elijah did not do what God personally had told him to do. And then verse 16, he was to anoint Elisha as his successor. He did that. One out of three. That's 33%. That, that means 66% of what God asked him to do, he never bothered with. That's such a sad picture. The giant called Elijah failed to go all the way. And God has been tugging at your heart over making him a priority, not just an add-on, but you're failing to go all the way. Like in the use of your money, God has been saying, be generous, honor the tithe. Give, give to me for what I'm asking you to give it for. And, and you've been failing to go the whole way. There's someone, and, and you began to pray for someone a year ago. But you pulled up short and you no longer pray for them. And their lostness doesn't stir, stir your soul. You, you fail to go all the way. You, you made a decision some months ago in this building about pursuing God, about being hungry to encounter Him. You didn't just want the fire, you wanted God. You knelt down, you asked for such. God, give me yourself. But now you don't bother. You just show up. It can be such a sad picture. My mother was only able to visit our family twice in California. And then she was called home by the Lord. And I remember the second visit. Uh, the first was like in March, and it was bearable, like weather-wise. Uh, but the second visit was in August. 
and it cooked in the valley. And I mean, like a hot day in Scotland is 71 degrees. You know, you know, that's why our legs are white. You know, guys, that's just, that's just what happens, okay? And we were fair-skinned people from Scotland with blue eyes. Uh, my mother had never felt 103 degrees. And we sat at the poolside of a friend's home. We didn't have a, we didn't have a pool. Uh, like, why pay the cost of that? They were just go and borrow somebody else's, you know? So uh, we would go and borrow people's pools through the, through the, through the summer. So we're, we're, we're in this friend's house, and uh, I jumped into the water, and I swam. My boys jumped into the water and swam. And my parents, being British, they didn't consider stripping off and showing your white flesh to be respectable or Christian. So they just sat at the poolside sweating, just dripping. And all they did was dip their toes into the water. We, we just wanted to grab them and pull them in. I mean, how agonizing could that be? A swimming pool full of water that could cool you down, but only having your toe dipping in it. But look around you. There are toe-dipping Christians everywhere, sticking their toes in it, but failing to go the full way and throw themselves into life with God. Now, please, I'm, I'm not meaning about doing another Bible study. I'm tired of Christians who just want to do a Bible study, but they never do the Bible. And their lives are self-righteous and angry. And they're not showing the love and the grace and the justice that the Bible teaches. So I'm not talking about doing another Bible study, for goodness sake. I'm talking about living out life with God, His grace, His mercy, His kindness, His compassion, living it out fully. And all the way through the story of Elijah, this, this faith principle has been jumping out of us, okay? You don't know how faithful and trustworthy God is because you're not giving Him opportunity to demonstrate it. You pull up short. You hold back. You fail to go all the way. And God is exasperated. And God is saying, come on! Let me show you what I can provide for you. Let me demonstrate to you my grace and my mercy, and it will bring you through. Can you just trust me and jump? Imagine what the next 13 years could have been like for Israel, perhaps even the next 30 years, if Elijah had gone all the way and done what God told him to do. Imagine if he had anointed Haziel, and justice had been brought, and they didn't have to sit under this dictator who got them to worship a dung heap God. If he had anointed Jehu and spared Israel 13 more years of Baal worship and wrong leadership, imagine, imagine what it would have been like. Now imagine, imagine what life could be like for you today if you commit yourself to not pulling up short, if you commit to say, God, I'm going to go the whole way. 
Imagine what your family would be like. Imagine what your friends could be like. Imagine what your work could be like. Imagine what your future could be like. Imagine what an ordinary day could be like if you decide every day, I'm going to put God first, and I'm going to do what He wants me to do. Let me speak to a few of the fathers and the grandfathers here. Imagine what sort of legacy you would leave your children or your grandchildren if each father in here today committed themselves for one year to not pull short of what God asks, but you speak honestly, you seek justice, you walk humbly, you help the poor, you use your gifts to build His church. You exponent the kingdom of God. You love both God and your neighbor. And you love your wife. Oh, it's good to show your son or your daughter how to fish, how to ride a bike, how to catch a ball, how to throw a ball. But it's better to show your son or your daughter how to live life doing what God wants you to do. I'm going to do life God's way and not pull back. When I hear God tell me to do something, I'll do it. You want me to do what? <laughs> do the things I'm telling you to do. Now, notice what God tells Elijah to do. Chapter 19, verse 15. Go back the way you came. Often, the way forward starts by going back and sorting some things out. I've had to do that with one of my boys. I had to go back to him and say, son, I messed up. I was a jackass. How I treated you, how I disciplined you, how I forced you sometimes to do things that, please forgive me. In my life, I've had to go back a few times to be able to move forward. Backwards in repentance is actually forwards with God. And maybe some here, and the move you have to make this week is, is backwards to sort out something that's not right. Somebody that you've offended, somebody that you've wronged, somebody that you've either shared their gossip or listened to the gossip and You've been a part of the gossip and you've offended them and you've hurt them. Go back and sort out what's wrong. Sort it out even by repentance, asking for forgiveness so you can move forward. Some of you can't move forward because you haven't dealt with it. Now, <laughs> now, now we get to the, the buckle your seatbelt part, okay? Now buckle your seatbelts. This is going to get bumpy. Is there somewhere you are failing to go the full way and do what God is asking you to do? You've gone halfway, maybe even most of the way, but that final yard, that extra mile, you've not done it. You've pulled up. You've pulled up. Have we pulled up collectively at a, as, a, as a church? Are we have a church. Have we gone forward the way we should have gone forward? 
Now, this one isn't just on one or two people here today. This is on all of us. It's on me. It's on Fred. It's on John. It's on Frank. It's on all of us. For years, we've pulled up short. Most of us, most of us have turned church and Christianity into either a private thing or a personal thing or the church is for us kind of thing. And too many of us have work colleagues, family members, friends, and we pull back and we pull back from going as far as we can to introduce them to Jesus Christ. We believe that all people matter to God, but only if they become like us. We believe that people who are living without Jesus and his forgiveness stirs God's soul, and we believe that churches and followers of Jesus Christ should be all about what Jesus is about. But when we come to reaching people with the message of love and hope and life and forgiveness, we don't do it. He asks us to make a top priority, sharing life with people who don't know him, introducing people to who this Christ is, loving them in the name of Christ. In your bulletin this morning is one of the most important inserts you'll ever have in that bulletin from me. Uh, it's a simple little bulletin insert with five blanks and a formula at the bottom. So, I'm going to take five minutes out and teach you my formula. Okay. It's not mine. This comes from uh, Mark Mittelberg. Interesting, really good guy, actually, Mark. And uh, he taught this formula. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. So, you have that in the bottom of the card, okay? I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this because here's what MI stands for. MI stands for maximum impact. Like when I meet Jesus, <laughs> I want to be sure that I stand in front of him ensuring, ensuring that I have done my best to live for him and that I've been about the things that he wants me to be about, that I've been about what his life in me should have been about, and, and helping the poor, inviting people to come to know him. I, I, I want to be about the things that Jesus wanted me to be about. Now, when I stand before him, I, I've tried to live, to have maximum impact for the faith that I believe and the Christ that I seemingly follow. Well, how can I do that? How can I stay focused on it? Well, it begins with HP. HP stands for high potency. High potency is my vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. I want my relationship with him to be real and to be alive, not to be legalistic and dull. I want it to be about uh, things that, that, that he's about and, and, and in worship and in living and in life. Uh, I don't want to know a lot about God. I want to know God. And so I use the spiritual disciplines times of prayer, times of solitude, times of listening, hearing God's Word spoken, taught, teaching, fasting, whatever it might be. I want to develop within me that high potency that I am alive to Christ, and God's Spirit is really alive in me and leading me forward in my walk with Him. High potency. But high potency by and of itself is not enough for me to be effective in having maximum impact. I've got to have CP. 
You see, here's the problem with high potency. For some people, they can be so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly use. And you know Christians like that. Well, I've got to have close proximity, CP. Close proximity. I need to be in meaningful relationship with people. <laughs> I grew up in a faith that didn't teach that. I grew up in a faith that taught separation from the world, but actually they didn't teach separation from the world. They practiced isolation from the world. And there were a weird group of people who hid away in their own little closet waiting for the rapture. Because they don't want to go out there and touch any people because people could pollute you. Now, that's true. If you don't have high potency, instead of people becoming like you, you'll become like them. I understand that. But nowhere in Scripture does it mean that we should not be in meaningful relationships with people. I was reading a survey report the other week there that said 40% of Christians say that they have, that they, that they have no non-Christian friends. What? Are they monks? What's that about, folks? We have to be the salt and light of the world. We have to love people. We've got to be in genuine. So if this is the vertical relationship, this is the horizontal relationship. Do I have friends and people that I know who don't know Christ and I'm involved in their lives, loving them and sharing Christ with them in a respectable way? HP plus CP, but still not enough for MI. There's that one last component, CC. Clear communication. How do I tell people about this life and this hope and this love and this forgiveness? Well, I share my story. I don't preach at them. I just live my life and share my story with them. And in sharing my story with them and they see my high, my high potency with Christ and they understand my genuine friendship, then they come to understand who this Christ is and explore even further. And now you've got five spaces. So here's what I'm asking you to do. You can't talk to the people about God until you talk to God about the people. So you've got five friends, maybe five family members, five colleagues, five neighbors. I don't know who they are. But you just begin to pray for them every day. God, put me in their lives. Put me in their lives. We're going to do a series at Christmas <laughs> where you're going to invite these five people too. Okay? You've got to have the right to invite them. So you've got to be a genuine friend. So what, you've got eight, ten weeks to show friendship. And then you're going to say, hey, we'll be coming to the church one Sunday, just at Christmas time. Maybe you know about Christmas, maybe you know about the whole thing about Christmas. Well, maybe you'd come one Sunday morning and just hear about the kind of God that I follow. Well, if you haven't found friendship with them, what, what right do you have to invite them? So HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. Five spaces, five cards, five names. You want me to do what? Tell people that I'm a Christian? Yeah. What? You want me to do what? Share love and friendship with people who aren't Christ followers? Yeah. Why? Because what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did. So you take that card and you keep that card either in your Bible or better than that, stick it next to the razor in the morning or the mirror in the morning where you shave, male and female. <laughs> and just you quietly pray, God, help me love them. Help me share my story with them. Help me form a friendship with them to invite them to Christ because I believe, God, that following you is the best life possible. And I want this for my friends and for my neighbors and for my colleagues. I want to be about that. I want to be about that. Now, watch the story. Watch the story of Elijah. Eight years pass. Eight years. He's out of the scene apart from 
There's one small incident with Ahab, but he fails to do what God wanted him to do. God raised up Elisha and God moved on. But eight years later, eight years later, one more time, God comes to Elijah and he says, I'll give you an opportunity. I'll, I'll not leave history in this depressing, sad way. I'll give you another chance to go out on the fire alive and as a prophet should. I'll give you a chance, Elijah, to make good the years you've wasted by pulling up short. And in 1 Kings chapter 21, God invites him to go and confront the new king on the block, Ahab's son, Hazai. Deja vu. Here we go again. Listen, people. You may be somebody sitting in this building this morning and you've never invited anybody to explore faith in Jesus Christ. You've maybe never had the joy of leading anybody in a conversation that says, hey, would you be interested in knowing the God that I know? And maybe you're 40, 50, 60 years in the faith and you've never led someone into a personal relationship with Christ. He's okay. He's the God of the second chance. And more than that, he will come to where you are at and he'll try to pull you across the finish line. He remains centrally a God of love and a God of grace. And you read the story, chapter 21, chapter 22, and then into First Kings, uh, Second Kings chapter 1. And, and the incredible lengths that God goes to help Elijah finish well. It's 1992, and I'm watching the Olympic Games in Barcelona. It was one of those years that just, I had time in my hands, and I just fell in love with the Olympic Games in Barcelona, okay? And uh, I, I don't know if you can remember what happened, but the, probably the most memorable incident on the Barcelona 1992 Games. Uh, from his seat in the top row of the stadium, Jim Redmond saw what 65,000 other people watching saw. It was a semi-final of the men's 400 meter. Okay, so that's a race. Okay, you got to go full as you can the whole way around. Okay, I used to run the 200. I got one leg shorter than the other, so as long as I was in inside bend, I could win it. Okay, but the 400, I couldn't do it. It was too far for me. Okay, I couldn't keep it going for 400. Okay, but. Uh, Derek, Red, Derek Redmond, a British guy, was one of the favorites to medal, okay? And he started strong, and he's running in the semifinal. And then, while the others gasped and watched, Derek fell to the ground. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. You, when, when you tear your hamstring, like the pain is, you know? You think pregnancy being bad? <laughs> Try pulling your hamstring, ladies, okay? And uh, <laughs> Sorry, I've just offended every woman there is here, okay? But hey, you know, it's another day. Uh, but uh, but uh, he's down on the ground, and I mean, the, the stadium are just, you know, they're just watching and seeing what happens, and he gets back up. And he tries to keep going on. And Jim Redmond sweeps into action, and he races down the stadium stairs. He brushes aside a security guard. He bounces over the four-and-a-half-foot wall, and he goes onto the track, pushing away an, an official. And this wasn't just any runner. This was his son. And we all watched, millions on TV, 65,000 people in the stadium, as, you know, the father, Jim, puts his arm around his son, Derek, and says, son, you don't have to do this. But Derek was determined to finish in Arm in arm, the young sprinter and his burly father limped towards the finish line, and the stadium rose, and those of us that are home watching it, we just all cried as we saw a dad and a son show the world the true value of a father's love. Listen, this very morning. 
I don't know what your Christian life has been like for the last 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. But God wants to come to you as a true father. And he wants to help you finish well. He wants to help you go the distance, not pull up short. He wants to help you do what he's asking you to do. And like Elijah, he wants you to move on from wasted years and toe-dipping years and go big, go big with what's left. You want me to do what? Make sure you go the distance. Make sure you don't pull up short. And God says, let me help you with it. I'm not snapping at your heels like a shepherd's dog. I'm not whacking you on a stick. I'm a God who just wants to wrap my arms around you and you walk my way. Know my love. Know my grace. Know my mercy. Do my life. Let's stand for closing prayer. And as we stand for closing prayer, God, who's on our list? Who are the five names, God? People that don't know you? People who maybe once knew you but have left and walked away? People who've been put off church because of us? People who don't know this God? Or the God they know is an angry God and a judging God and not a God of love stretched out on a cross. Who are they, God? And does it bother our souls, God, that we have friends who don't know you? Give us sleepless nights over the state of our friends' souls. Give us sleepless nights, Lord, over the fact that maybe we don't even care. Pursue us, God, to be a church that is about what you are about. May people see in us the Jesus that we worship. May they see in us what Jesus was about with his arms extended wide, loving, forgiving, showing mercy. And we know, God, that the image of the Christian in our culture is not a good image. We know, God, that millions, millions have walked away from the church. May the end of this summer and this fall be the changing of a heart in South Valley Community Church. That we will be about what Jesus was centrally about. And may we reach out beyond ourselves to share our story. God, maybe here this morning in this place, there's somebody who doesn't have a story of knowing you. 
They know the story of their parents or they know the story of their spouse, but they themselves don't have a story of knowing you. Or we quiet in our hearts. And we invite anyone who's like that to just turn their hands towards heaven. And in quiet surrender, to just say, Jesus, come. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. And I ask you that your story of life and hope would become my story. Help me become a follower of you. Lord, there's people in this building and they're, they're two dippers. Lord, by your Spirit come and flood within our souls a desire and a hunger and a thirst to know you and to know the life that you want to give, abundant life, eternal life, life, living water. And those who seek you We'll find you, God. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. Move in our desires. Change our desires. Come, we pray. And when the whisper of your ask on our life happens, we'll not say, you want me to do what? But with faith and trust, we'll charge forward, doing what you want us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, folks.